from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, the media is taking note of President Biden's announcement yesterday that he has given the intel community 90 days to give him a report on whether or not the coronavirus could have come from the Wuhan lab. So this is not a change. This is uh, this is uh, you know something like I said has been ongoing. What has changed is he wants to give another 90 days uh, to dig a little deeper, to double down. Uh, I see to double down their efforts, and that is what he's asking for. That was Assistant Press Press Secretary Karine Jean Pierre yesterday. So what information can additional an additional 90 days provide that we don't already have we'll talk with former secretary of state mike pompeo who has just landed in israel in just a moment and frc just conducted a survey on biblical worldview in america how many americans have a biblical worldview meaning they operate through the lenses of scripture the answer might surprise you george barna senior fellow for biblical worldview here at the family research council is here to unpack the survey. And speaking of biblical worldview, today FRC launched a new center, the Center for Biblical Worldview. FRC's Travis Weber and David Clawson, the director of the new center, joins me to tell us all about it. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything on your way home, you can find it all later, archived right there at TonyPerkins.com. If you're on the free speech platform of Gab, it's at Tony underscore Perkins. All right. Late yesterday, in a rare moment of bipartisan agreement, the U.S. Senate unanimously approved the measure requiring the federal government to declassify intelligence on the origins of COVID-19. The passing of the bill introduced last month by Republican Senators Mike Braun of Indiana and Josh Hawley of Missouri came on the heels of President Biden's announcement earlier in the day calling on the U.S. intelligence agencies to investigate the origins of the virus. It also came shortly after the Biden State Department quietly terminated an inquiry into the virus's origins that was initially launched at the request of the former Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, who joins us now from Israel. Uh, Mike, welcome back to Washington Watch. Tony, it's great to be with you, especially great to be with you from this important place for Christianity and for Judaism. Yeah, before we get into the Wuhan lab and what we knew, know and don't know and what we did know and should have known, I, I, give us a, a report. What's it on like on the ground there in Israel? Yes, I just got on the ground an hour or so ago. But I must say, um, we have been in Tel Aviv and we've seen people out walking around, enjoying life as they would do on an evening like this. It's a beautiful night. Uh, the Israelis understand. They, uh, they understand the threat that opposes them. They know what happened these past 10, 12 days, but they're not about to allow them uh, that to allow to change their way of life and how they live with their families. It's pretty glorious to be out and watch all these people out doing the things that families do. Yeah, a resilient people who understand what it's like to live under the constant threat of uh, hostile neighbors. But I, I want to ask you one more question about that before we move on to the issue in China. And I know that under your watch at Secretary of State, at the direction of the president, uh, we saw the embassy move to Jerusalem, the U.S. embassy. We also saw the sovereignty extended or recognized, I should say, of Israel over the Golan Heights. 
Um, America projected strength when it came to Israel. While people predicted that there would be fallout to all of those decisions, there was none. In fact, uh, we saw historic peace accords that were accomplished in the Middle East. Is it weakness that brings on this conflict? Tony, it's always the case that our adversaries, folks like Iran and their sponsored proxies like Hamas, who was firing thousands of rockets into Israel, that they can always smell weakness. They can sense it. Uh, our administration was completely committed to ensuring that the Israelis had every tool that they need, and we demonstrated that we understood they had the right to protect their own sovereignty and protect their own people. When the administration refuses to talk to the Israeli leader, when the administration says we're going to underwrite the Palestinian Authority, and uh, under, uh, knowing full well that some of the money, some of that American money, will all, almost certainly end up in the hands of the very terrorists who are firing those rockets into Israel, Yes, the, the bad guys notice, and, and weakness begets war. Strength deters it. I hope this administration will understand the importance of the relationship between the United States and Israel. And I frankly hope his party, the Democrat Party, walks away from what is a creeping anti-Semitism that is not only on the fringes of their party, but exists. Indeed, we've seen statements from their candidate two years running as runner-up for president make statements that undermine that centrality of the partnership and relationship between the United States and the Jewish homeland of Israel. Uh, are, are you in Israel to, to, to show the continued support that uh, there is among Americans for our allies in Israel? You know, Tony, I actually came here for a very specific purpose. I, I became close friends with the head of the Israeli intelligence service. He is retiring, and he asked me to come to his retirement ceremony. That's the purpose for my visit. It's been glorious, even on the flight over. Uh, there were so many people that said kind things. I just said thank you for what you and President Trump did uh, for our country and for the partnership between our two nations. It was heartwarming that there I am sitting on a, a commercial airplane, people saying how much they appreciated the important relationship between our two countries. I, this must continue. It needs to be bipartisan, Tony. You mentioned intelligence. I, I've got to ask you this question now as we transition to uh, the president's statement yesterday, President Biden saying he's giving the intelligence community 90 days uh, to look into whether or not the origins of the COVID-19 virus were from the Wuhan laboratory. What's an additional 90 days going to provide? Haven't we already been looking at this information? Tony, we spent a lot of energy, the State Department, our intelligence community inside the State Department and outside the State Department trying to get to the bottom of this. In the end, the people who know, the Chinese Communist Party, who could tell us the answer to these questions, right? Things like who was patient zero and was the Wuhan Institute of Virology engaged in research that allowed this virus to leak and kill millions of people in the world, they know. I hope they learn a whole lot in the next 90 days. We learned an awful lot during our work, including the statement that we released back on the 15th of January, which made clear a number of things about the work that was being done at that uh, virology lab. The fact that some of their doctors had become sick, we now know were hospitalized with symptoms consistent with the Wuhan virus. I, I hope they'll take this seriously. So far, this administration has not indicated at all that they have any intention of holding China accountable for what they foisted upon the world. Well, it seems like if anybody would raise those questions, uh, suggesting that, you know, the old adage, where there's smoke, there's fire. I mean, the fact that you had, as you mentioned, three of the researchers there from the laboratory being hospitalized with flu-like symptoms, uh, that could quite, quite well indicate that this could be the source. But those were always dismissed as being those advocating conspiratorial theories. 
Yes. Uh, yes, the liberal media put the tin hat on me a whole handful of times. I've been talking about this since well over a year now, back in uh, late April, early May of last year. We, we, we knew, Tony, that every data point that was uncovered suggested that this one institute of virology was the likely source for what happened. How it got out, we don't know, but it was very likely the case. That remains true today. The data points enormously in that direction. The Chinese Communist Party must be held accountable. There are so many tools by which it could be done. What one can't do is when one talks to Xi Jinping as America's leaders, you can't ignore it. When you travel to Alaska and meet with Chinese leaders, you can't ignore it. They killed 3 million people around the world. They destroyed billions of dollars of wealth. They did enormous damage to the United States. And we know this much. We know the virus came from Wuhan, and we know that the Chinese Communist Party doesn't want you to know how it got out of there. But, but, I, think that's an, I think that's enough standing alone to impose enormous costs on them. But to make it more egregious, uh, Mr. Secretary, is that we've had others that have provided cover to them, like the WHO, the World Health Organization, that went over and did their investigation but did not even look into the possibility that it could have come from the laboratory. And, of course, the media then said, oh, WHO said, no, it, it hasn't come from that. Well, they didn't even look at the evidence. <laughs> Tony, it's so true. The the so-called investigation that the WHO conducted was, uh, I mean, no, no scientist would stare at that and say it provided any insights. They were denied firsthand exposure to the facility. They were denied data that wasn't highly curated by the Chinese Communist Party. It was, it was a joke. It wasn't an investigation. It was a, uh, a vacation trip. And your point's right. The, the left-wing media, the New York Times and the Washington Post said, well, Trump and Pompeo were saying that this came from the laboratory and nobody else, and therefore it must be a conspiracy theory and false. Well, we, we now know that's not the case. Doctors from across the world are now saying we need to learn more. The, the world has a responsibility. Tony, here's the, here's the rub of it for all those listening today. That, that Institute of Virology is still operational. The Chinese continue to conduct research, and next time it could kill 30 million people. Well, also what the question I have is, you know, if it was accidental, I, I understand that, you know, this could have been an accident. But what if it's not accidental? What if there, this type of research could then be used intentionally? And we've already seen uh, the, the way China, the Communist Party, has responded to this does not suggest to me that they care very much about the rest of the world. No, that's right. You, you know this. We've seen this, Tony. You've done amazing work on religious freedom around the world. You know these countries don't respect human life. They don't value it the way that you and I and most Americans do. And so your point's well taken. 10,000, 30,000 people in their own country dead is not something that's going to change, and they're certainly not going to take any political risk. They're certainly not going to open up what they clearly know happened to the world so the world can see what happened, even if it costs additional lives. That's not something that they calculate, that they use in a way that you and I would think was the most important thing that one could do. Uh, Mr. Secretary, final uh, question. Now it's late there in, uh, in in Israel. Certainly, this time that has expired since the leak, or since the creation, or since the virus began to spread—I'll put it that way—this um, has given them plenty of time to destroy records, the paper trail, if if that existed. Uh, but it's important not to let this go because this should inform, I would think, for our policymakers, our relationship with China going forward if they don't come clean. Yes, Tony, I think that's absolutely the case. 
we began to do this in the Trump administration. We we were trying to convince them to allow us to see what happened. But yes, they've they've done all of these things. At the, at the very least, this is reckless negligence. It's it could be worse. So we should, given just the facts that we have, we should begin to impose real costs. I I can think of some simple ones. We certainly shouldn't allow American athletes to go honor that country with their presence in the Olympic Games in Beijing in just a little over a year while they have covered up a virus that killed millions and they are actively engaged in genocidal activity in Western China even as we speak. There are many things the United States and the world can do to hold China accountable. And even if we learn nothing more, even if they're able to cover up everything else, we know enough now that this is completely appropriate and indeed necessary. Well, Mr. Secretary, I, I want to thank you for staying up late and uh, joining us with the Washington Watch uh, late night edition there in Israel. Thanks so much for, uh, for being with Thanks. us. Bless you. Have a good night. All right. You too. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo uh, coming to us from uh, Tel Aviv uh, there in uh, in Israel. I, look, I think you, can need, you need to continue to watch this. This story is going to develop uh, even more. As we see now, even the mainstream media no longer able to ignore this. There's a lot more here, folks. All right, don't go away. When we come back, George Barna joins me in studio. FRC conducted a survey working with George Barna on biblical worldview in America. How many Americans have a biblical worldview, meaning that they look at the world, make decisions through the lenses of Scripture? The answer might surprise you. And then we're going to be announcing the creation of the Center for Biblical Worldview. Travis Weber and David Clawson joins me later in studio to talk about that announcement that was made earlier today. Don't go away. We're coming right back with more Washington Watch right after this. What is Roe v. Wade and what did it do? The Supreme Court's 1973 decision ruled that abortion is protected under the U.S. Constitution, striking down many state abortion restrictions and severely limiting the extent to which states could write their own abortion laws. The Supreme Court's limitations on states to legislate abortion restrictions depends on the trimester of a pregnancy. For instance, Roe disallows states from restricting abortions in the first trimester but allows some restrictions on abortions in the third trimester. What Roe doesn't do is require states to have any restrictions. Abortion through all nine months of pregnancy is the default, unless Congress or the individual states pass laws restricting it. That leaves a lot of room for unrestricted abortions. For a full explanation of how Roe versus Wade liberalized abortion laws, go to frc.org explainer. That's frc.org explainer. After the recent wave of media censorship, are you struggling to find a conservative, relevant, and Christian platform where you can find out what's really going on? Here at Family Research Council, we believe that Americans have a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. If you're ready to hear the facts that the left doesn't want you to know about, then head over to frcblog.com to check out our latest blog posts. We cover a wide range of issues you and your family care about, all written by our policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview experts. We discuss topics that other media platforms won't, like changes in pro-life policy, current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the bigger picture of the shift in American culture. 
To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, visit frcblog.com. That's frcblog.com. Would you like to spend more time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible with their Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. This reading plan takes you through the Bible as events happen in history. Laying out the scripture every day in an engaging manner, it is key to helping us stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start reading today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, earlier today, the Family Research Council announced the launch of the Center for Biblical Worldview. It's an exciting new ministry that will help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview. And in tandem with the center's launch, FRC released a new national survey regarding the state of biblical worldview in America. Joining me now to unpack the findings of this survey is Dr. George Barna, FRC's newly minted senior research fellow with the Center for Biblical Worldview. George, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Tony. Good to be here. Well, I want to, uh, by the way, congratulations on your new role at FRC. Thank you. Welcome to the team. I want to get into the, uh, I love polling, and now I I know just enough to be dangerous, but I, I, it's, it's always instructive to see where people are. I never make decisions based on polling, but it's good to know uh, what, what people are thinking. But before we get into the uh, survey that you just conducted, I want to get your thoughts on uh, the launch of the Center for Biblical Worldview. Well, it, it's really exciting because the idea here is that we want to be bringing solutions and resources to the table related to the worldview crisis that America faces today. So it's one thing to have the kind of research I do that points out, here's the shape of things, and it's not pretty. But it's a completely different element to say, now because of that, here's what we need, and we're going to be able to deliver some of those resources. We can't do everything, but we can do something. And the things that we have been creating already through David Clausen and many of the other people here, I think are very helpful and valuable and exciting resources that pastors and families and individuals can be taken advantage of towards solving this crisis. And we're going to be talking more about those resources specifically uh, later in the program. Uh, David Clausen is going to be joining me as uh, well as Travis Weber, vice president of our policy shop. So we'll be talking about some of those specific resources. Well, George, you've been beating this drum for a long time. Uh, and finally, somebody was listening. Uh, you know, worldview, biblical worldview. If we don't fix the worldview, we're not going to fix the problem. And we're, we've seen this. And, and what really got my attention was on the sage cons, which is something not quite 10 years ago, but you, you a more narrowly defined definition of a Bible-believing Christian. But this worldview is quite significant. You did a poll, a uh, survey for FRC. What did you find out? 
Well, we knew from previous research we've been doing at Arizona Christian University that only 6% of adults in America have a biblical worldview. But in this particular survey for FRC, what we want to know is, well, how many people think they have a biblical worldview? And in doing that, that's where we found half of the nation, 51% of our adults, say they have a big biblical worldview. So you see there's a big gap between actually having one and thinking you have yeah, 51 one. 51 and 6, that's a pretty big gap. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost half the country. Yeah. And so in a nation of this size, we're talking about tens and tens of millions of people who think, yeah, I got it figured out, when in point of fact there's a big gap between what they believe the Bible may teach and what the Bible actually teaches. 51% of adults claiming they have a biblical worldview and only 6% actually have one suggests a couple of things to me. One, people really don't know what a biblical worldview is, mm-hmm. but a majority of Americans either think it's a good thing to have or would want one. Am I, am I close? Or, or they're at least willing to accept the possibility that as someone who thinks of themselves as a Christian, which more than two out of three Americans still do, they think, well, yeah, Christianity is kind of about the Bible. I guess I ought to have a biblical worldview. So, again, as you say, they may not know what it is, but they think, yeah, that's pretty reasonable. So explain it. What is a biblical worldview? Well, Let's start with the most basic thing. What is a worldview? Because everybody has a worldview. The worldview is your... Whether you acknowledge it or not, you have one. Exactly. Yeah, because you need one to get by every day. Because what a worldview does is it's the filter, the intellectual, the spiritual, and the emotional filter through which you make every decision you make. And so to get through every day, you've got to have a worldview that's operating on your behalf. So the question then becomes is, well, where did you get this? And the answer is, well, it started developing when you were 15 to 18 months of age, was almost fully in place by the age of 13, and then you spent the next decade or so refining it, figuring out how to articulate it, how to implement it intentionally. Restate that. It's developed when? Between 15 to 18 months of age and 13 years of age. So childhood. Into, I mean, before you become a teenager, yes. your worldview is developed. By the time somebody gets to high school, their worldview is already in place. All right. Could there be a correlation then between why the left wants to get a hold of children so early? In fact, President Biden wanting to get them even earlier in his proposal for families? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you know, as a student of government and history, when you look at many of the totalitarian leaders, across time, whether we're talking Mao Zedong, whether we're talking Vladimir Lenin, whether we're talking Mussolini, all of these leaders at one point or another said something to the effect of, if you give me a child until the age of seven is typically when they say, I've got him for life, because they know that you indoctrinate somebody when they're young, and then all they're doing is trying to figure out what does it look like in practice. How do I do that so that I'm comfortable that my thoughts and my behaviors are in sync with each other? Okay, so let's reverse engineer this. When we look at worldview being developed between 13, 18 months to 13 years, or 15 to 18 months to, to 13 years, how are we going? How do we do that? Uh, what needs to be done? Where Where's the epicenter of beginning to develop a biblical worldview? Well, as somebody who likes to think that they have a biblical worldview, I go back to the scriptures and say, how does God suggest that we do this? 
And his recommendation, Deuteronomy 6 and, and subsequent chapters, various passages in, in Proverbs, say that it is the parent's job to raise up a child in the way he should go, making sure that they know the admonitions of the Lord and they live accordingly. And so, really, it is a parent's job. That is their single most important job during their time here on earth, is to make sure that if God has blessed them with children, that they are doing everything they can to build God's ways, God's principles, his commands, his ideas, into their minds and hearts so that their lives reflect that. Now, along the way, part of the challenge is going to be that parents have other things that they're doing. They may not know how to do some of these things. Therefore, it's the role of the local church to be equipping the parents to help the parents to always be so thinking that they about can help that. the children. All right, exactly. George, uh, push pause because uh, we're going to come back and pick right up with that on the other side of this break. I could talk about this stuff forever uh, because I am so concerned about what's happening in our homes in America and the responsibility parents have to train their children and not outsource it to government education. All right, folks, stick stick with us. George Barna is. We'll be back on the other side of the break with more. Don't go away. Where do you get your news? Do you have confidence you're getting the full truth? If you want to stay up to date on conservative news and are looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged, then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent radio programs, social media posts, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Stay informed with a trusted source. Again, search Stand Firm to download the Stand Firm app. As the political and cultural landscape of our nation has shifted in a concerning direction, it is so important for Christians to be equipped with biblical answers for the difficult questions of our time. That is why Family Research Council created our Biblical Worldview series. With the political left changing definitions to favor their narrative and to push their agenda, at times it can be hard to decipher what is true. That is why we must hold to the truth of the Bible, which stands the test of time. It holds the truth that does not change. Become equipped to stand firm in the face of cultural and political storms with FRC's Biblical Worldview series. This series dives deep into what the Bible says about some of the most crucial issues of our day. You'll learn what the Bible teaches on abortion, same-sex marriage, the separation of church and state, religious freedom, and the age-old question, should Christians be involved in politics? To access this series, visit frc.org worldview. That's frc.org worldview. We're back. It's Washington Watch. George Barna is with me. We're talking about a survey that uh, was just released that FRC did in conjunction uh, with George for our Center for Biblical Worldview. All right, George, I want to pick up where we left off. I told you to hit pause, so go ahead and uh, push play. Uh, we, um, we're talking about parents. Parents 
are at the center of, I mean, it's the way the scripture says. You're absolutely right. Train up a child in ways you go. Talk about these things when you sit down, when you lie down, when you walk in the way. Talk about these things. We're always, that's, we're always hitting that on this program. But who's going to teach the parents? It's got to be their church. Uh, you're certainly not going to get it from the media. You're not going to get it from the government. You're not going to get it at your place of business. So that is the church's function. And I think we've misunderstood what kind of influence a church can have and how that influence comes about. What we find in our research, most pastors are thinking, is that it's the adults that are the most important group for us to reach. And we'll help them build a biblical worldview when they're in their 30s, 40s, 50s. Rarely, rarely, rarely does that happen because the worldview is already in place. They're not coming in looking for it. They're not coming in with a vacuum that needs to be filled. That's why when you're 15 to 18 months of age, you're trying to figure out how do I how do I get through the day? How do I make sense of all this stuff that's going on around me? And so they have to start developing those principles. So the place to start would be in your children's ministry and move away from the Bible stories and start teaching biblical truths. And applications. And a lot of churches, oh, that's too young. You know, they don't know what to do with that. Well, the left sure doing it in our public schools. I was going to say, they're going to get that information somewhere. And if you don't provide it, then the media is going to provide it. The government's going to provide it. Other places, other sources of influence are going to give it to them. Looking through the survey, I want to just a couple of the numbers. Some of the things that stuck out to me was the people that said, I have a biblical worldview, and I'm pretty good at integrating it in my relationships. I'm pretty good at integrating it in my faith and how I practice it. But where there were some areas, some significant areas, I think, that most say, I'm not so good at uh, integrating my faith. Yeah, two of those. One, one of them, uh, the one where they struggle the most at integrating it has to do with their entertainment and news choices. And so they don't necessarily see a connection between their faith and what kind of arts and entertainment experiences they're having or what kind of newscasts and commentaries they're watching. And yet that's incredibly impactful. I would think it is because if you have a if you are striving for a biblical worldview, you're you're trying to live according to Scripture and the messages that you are getting through the media and through the news is 180 degrees removed from that, or in fact, even hostile toward that view, it creates this dissonance, I would think, within you, a conflict. And there's some of the most direct worldview messages that you're going to get, because when people are making these things out in Hollywood or New York or wherever, it's not just done randomly. There's a point of view that they want to get They're across. operating from a biblical worldview. Well, they're I mean, operating not a, from, I mean, from a, a worldview. I'm sorry, from yeah. a worldview, an yeah. intentional worldview. Yes, and there are many that they can choose from. And as we've done the research, we've found, you know, yeah, some people are buying into a Marxist worldview, a secular humanist worldview, a postmodern worldview, Eastern mystic- mystical worldview. Those are diametrically opposed to what the Bible teaches. Intentionality. They're intentional, and too often in the church we're not. Yeah, and so I look at, at, at our national research about what's going on in the faith world, and the fastest-growing, quote-unquote, faith group in America are what I call the don'ts, those who don't believe God exists, don't know if God exists, or don't care if God exists. Twenty years ago, that was only 8% of the American population. Today, it's 34%, and among millennials, those who are in their mid-30s and younger, uh, it's 43%. So 
clearly all of that media is having a dramatic impact on what we think about God, what we think about his word, what we think about how we should live. Now, the sample size, uh, 1,000 um, participants in this, right? Yes. Uh, across America. Across rep- America, representative sample of the adult population. And one of the things that stuck out to me, George, and, and i got to ask you this because I couldn't figure it out, um, you mentioned, mentioned Eastern mysticism, and, and even among evangelicals, I, I saw that there is there are some who believe in reincarnation. Not just some. I mean, when we look at the 51% of Americans who believe they have a biblical worldview, 49% of them say they believe reincarnation is a real possibility for them. And I think a lot of this goes back to the fact that that's even higher than the proportion of people who who say that they're accepting Christ as their Savior. They'll call themselves Christian. They think they have a biblical worldview, but they are more likely to believe in reincarnation than in Christ saving them from their sins. And that's kind of why we've gotten away from the term evangelicals, because of this uh, syncretic faith that uh, is a hodgepodge of so many different things that evangelical really doesn't mean anything. We've kind of reverted to the term of the sage con. Uh, who are those uh, believers whose faith really directs every type of engagement that they are uh, involved in. Yeah, and and their faith compels them to be involved in all aspects of society because they believe that's what Jesus would do. So their goal is to try to do do what Christ would do if he were in their shoes. They're trying to emulate that. It all goes back to the Word of God, of, of teaching the Word, preaching the Word, and instructing our children through the Word. And one of the things that would help us as believers would be to feel a willingness to be vulnerable with each other about, look, if you see something that I'm doing that doesn't work biblically, you got to tell me because I may have a blind spot there. Or maybe it's not a blind spot and I'm just willing to continue to sin, but I need somebody to be loving enough to come alongside me and point those things out and let's work on it together. Well, let me be very straight with you, George. We're out of time. <laughs> George, thanks so much for being with us. It's always great to talk with you. And again, welcome aboard. Thank you so much. All right, folks, don't go away because uh, we're going to talk about the Center for Biblical Worldview next. David Clawson joins me and Travis Weber. Don't go away. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch on the American Family Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, and independent Christian radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. Since the Supreme Court decided Roe v. Wade in 1973, over 60 million people are now missing from our country due to legalized abortion. Public opinion, our knowledge of law, and scientific advancements demonstrate that Roe should by no means be considered settled law. Roe is an abomination in our country's history. And it's time for the horrendous practice of legalized abortion to end. To learn more about the legal, historical, and cultural reasons to overturn Roe v. Wade, go to frc.org slash Roe. The Equality Act sounds like good legislation and something that ought to have bipartisan support, but it doesn't. Why? Because the Equality Act, paradoxically, would spur inequality. It is Trojan horse legislation that would hinder equality and would massively overhaul our federal civil rights framework. 
The stated purpose of the bill is to prohibit discrimination on the basis of sex, gender identity, and sexual orientation. The real effect of this bill would not be to eliminate discrimination, but to erase the freedom to hold a different opinion. The Equality Act would mandate government-imposed inequality by requiring acceptance of a particular ideology about sexual ethics, while leaving no room for legitimate public debate. Simply put, the Equality Act mandates an anti-life, anti-family, and anti-faith agenda throughout federal law and would be a disaster for all Americans. To learn more about the inequality of the Equality Act, visit frc.org slash Equality Act. Since June of 2015, over 12,000 Christians have been killed in Nigeria. This violence has reached a point at which experts are warning of a progressive genocide specifically targeting Christians across Africa's largest and most economically powerful nation. Yet this violence often goes unreported in the media, and if reported, is seriously downplayed. To learn more about what is actually taking place in Nigeria, along with other countries where Christians face persecution, visit frc.org Nigeria. Did you know that Planned Parenthood is the biggest abortion supplier in the U.S.? According to Planned Parenthood's most recent annual report, it committed 354,871 abortions in fiscal year 2019, up by over 9,000 abortions since 2018. According to these numbers, Planned Parenthood aborted 972 babies every single day. To learn more about what Planned Parenthood is really doing, visit frc.org slash Planned Parenthood facts. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Be sure and uh, go there today because uh, you're going to see a lot of new resources. In fact, a link to the Center for Biblical Worldview. I mentioned earlier today that uh, we made that announcement as we had a uh, actually a pastor's conference, a virtual pastor's conference, our annual Watchman on the Wall. And we announced the creation of the Center for Biblical Worldview. And here to uh, to talk more about it, Travis Weber, Vice President of Policy and Government Affairs, and David Clawson, who is the uh, the director of our Center for Biblical Worldview. Uh, Travis, da- David, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks, Tony. All right, um, Travis, I'll start with you. W- what was the genesis behind the, the Center for Biblical Worldview? Yeah, it's really neat to see how the Lord has woven together this story. You know, if we go back and sort of look at the issues we're dealing with here, a lot of family issues, obviously, social issues, life, family, religious freedom, and every related issue to that, you know, we, we deal with them from a policy perspective, but and then we let we lobby legislators who try to have policies passed into law. But then, as we all we all know, hey, we're we're coming to these issues because we're Christians from our faith. But what does that mean? What's the meat on that? And, and if you explore that, it's really a question of a biblical. What what does the biblical worldview have to say about it? What does the Bible say about it? What does Christian theology and faith and and the teachings of our Scripture say about those issues we deal with? Uh, abortion life, religious liberty, family issues. And so as as the Lord brought this into fruition, that's really what produced this Center for Biblical Worldview and the worldview way of looking at these issues, right? So we go back, David, to when you you know joined FRC, we started just saying naturally as Christians, how would we unpack these issues from our faith as we unpack them from the policy perspective and, and legislatively? How do we unpack them from our faith? And that really, Tony, is the question of what does the biblical worldview have to say about all these? So, you know, that that kind of has led us to the point where we are today, and I'm excited about the way ahead, but this is really about 
uh, putting the third leg on the stool here. Like one is legislation, what we're doing in the political realm. Two is the policy issue themselves. And three, biblical worldview. That really allows Christians to connect our faith to the issues and then in a, in a fully orbed way, live them out in the public square. Well, and before we're done, we're going to have a centipede. Uh, we're going to have a lot of legs. <laughs> we're have a lot of legs. Uh, David, goals and objectives. We, I was just talking with George Barn. I think you heard my conversation with him. You know, only 6% of American adults have a biblical worldview. So what are the goals of the center? Yeah, great question, Tony. And I think most days around here are exciting. Today is just a really exciting day that we're launching the Center for Biblical Worldview. Grateful for your vision uh, and the energy behind this. Um, I think you know, the first thing we've done in the Center of Biblical Worldview is conducting this national survey that shows that 51% of Americans believe they have a biblical worldview when we know that number is closer to six. And so just the difference between perception and reality. And so our goal is to see more Americans have a biblical worldview. There, there are tens of millions of Christians, Tony, uh, many of uh, our friends and neighbors, many people that go to church with us uh, that want to have a biblical worldview. They, they have a high view of scripture, but they're actually not applying God's word to every issue that they face, whether that's a moral issue, a political issue, even a theological issue. And so one of the, the, the primary goal, and this is the language we're really intentional about using, that we have a high view of Scripture, and right. we want people to apply God's Word to every area of their life. And to accomplish that, we're going to be producing all sorts of resources uh, to come alongside pastors, to come alongside parents, uh, to make sure the next generation of Christians is given this uh, foundation rooted in God's Word. And, and it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway, all of these resources point back to Scripture. That, that, that is the foundation. I mean, as we've been um, through this two-year journey through the Bible here at FRC, someone say, what's the public policy organization doing? You know, reading the Bible and encouraging people to read the Bible and launching a biblical worldview center. It goes back to what you were saying, Travis. You know, our policy, when you see some of the policies coming out of Washington and even some of the states, it is 180 degrees from the truth of Scripture, but if we don't know Scripture, uh, you know, we're, we're sucked into that, and the cultural winds will blow us uh, astray as a society, and that includes the, the church, because we're seeing that so many of these terms, uh, you know, they've changed the meaning of the words. Uh, I was talking with George just a little bit ago about how evangelical doesn't mean what it once meant. And so it all goes back to the written word of of God. So talk specifically about some of the resources that will be available and where people can find them. Yeah, and I just want to underscore that, Tony. And we were real uh, intentional about our the, the statement that we used, our mission statement. We, we believe God's Word is inerrant. Uh, we believe that it's infallible. We believe that it's authoritative. Uh, those are uh, theological words that mean essentially that God's Word is the foundation to everything that we're going to do here at the Center of Biblical Worldview at FRC. And so some of the resources uh, we've launched today are a Biblical Worldview series. Uh, we've had these resources out before, but they are, are redesigned, and, and uh, we edited them, and they're, they're fresh, and they, they cover issues related to life, uh, human sexuality, marriage, political engagement. Uh, we have a series of blogs. We have a series of articles. And in the near future, in the weeks and months to come, we're going to be producing a curriculum. We're going to be producing videos. Uh, we're going to be producing a resource to help uh, parents and grandparents figure out what Christian college they want to send their kids to. Um, but the, the host of issues, again, that are designed to come alongside pastors and parents uh, to shepherd their families and to shepherd their congregations. Uh, and all these can be found on our uh, website that was launched this morning, uh, frc.org slash worldview. 
and that's going to be constantly updated uh, with new resources. Travis, time is short. The crisis is critical in our nation. I mean, we see the what's happening right now with the policies coming out of this administration. What can people anticipate seeing in the Center for a Biblical Worldview over the the course of the next uh, year, two years? Yeah, so I think, you know, in addition to what David mentioned, um, uh, well, let me just un- unpack in terms of what we're looking forward to. One of the resources... So I think it's foundational. There's a lot of Christians might I'm shy away from politics. I don't like the word. I'm scared about it. Here we're showing from Scripture. Yeah, and I want to I, I want to emphasize that that when you're talking about this, it's not just commentary, but it's it is unpacking Scripture. So you have the passage, point people to the passage, and say, and 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 help them understand the integration of that biblical truth with their life, and in this particular case, their engagement in the political realm. That's right, and a lot of these go pretty in depth. You know, we're we're really getting in there. We have some David has summary versions of them for for folks who don't want to read the whole thing. But the Reader's Digest version. Reader's <laughs> Digest versions. Uh, but but the, the need is to go deep because yeah. if someone were to challenge us and say, well, where in Scripture? Well, we've laid that out. But, you know, Tony, looking ahead, you know, in addition to what David mentioned, um, you know, there, there, there's a, an important uh, frame of reference that, that, that folks have to, to keep in mind here. And that's, you know, just looking at what the Biden administration is doing, um, other, uh, you know, politic leaders putting out different policies antithetical to Scripture and, and, and care, you know, harping on messages that are, that are behind their, their views in the public debate, in the media, in the public square. Um, we realize all the more the need for what we're doing here because it's no longer going to suffice to say, well, look, just vote against this, vote against that, and we expect you to do that. Uh, we really need to help under, people uh, shore up their beliefs, understand why they're engaging, even why they're engaging itself, and then what the specifics of what they're engaging on, uh, understand the specifics of that. Um, but it also, if we, if we know what the Bible has to say about an issue, that gives us... I think in many cases, a, um, the, the, the courage and the boldness to stand because it's not our opinion. And, and that's one of the things I think Christians need to get away with, get away from. It's not our opinion. It's what the Word of God says. And having a biblical worldview is not having an opinion that you're living by, but rather it is the truth of God's Word. And so we, as we are able to articulate those positions on these various issues, and the Scripture speaks to to almost everything, if not everything, um, then we can stand without being timid, without being apologetic, or, you know, in some cases not standing at all, being silent. Yeah, I think this ultimately, I mean, this, what we're doing here comes back to the notion of standing, standing on Scripture. And, you know, we, we would probably phrase that, David, you know, we're standing and unpacking Scripture yep. for people on different issues. Yeah, and in the core publications that, again, you can find at frc.org slash worldview, I have one on life, one on religious liberty, one on human sexuality, and one on political engagement. And I just want to be clear to anyone that's listening to us right now, you know, I didn't come at when I wrote these things, which took months to put together, not from a political perspective or some ideological perspective. Uh, my, my training is uh, from seminary. I have a seminary, a couple seminary degrees, actually. I, my, I wanted to know, what does God's Word say about these issues? Let's just take the life issue, Tony. I think if you went to a lot of people in our churches, what does the Bible teach about the person of the unborn? They might be able to say, well, Psalm 139, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. But I think if you pressed them, what else? I think a lot of people say, well, I'm not really sure. 
Well, the Bible affirms the personhood of the unborn from cover to cover, dozens mm-hmm. of passages. And so I meticulously try to walk through every passage that affirms the personhood of the unborn. But it's not just Scripture that teaches this. For 2,000 years, I think a lot of people think, oh, Christians have only cared about the life issue since 1973. Not true. We have pastors and theologians uh, from the first century saying the Bible teaches this, and this is what we need to believe. And so, again, that's what I try to do for all of our issues, whether it's marriage, sexuality, or life. What does God's Word teach on these issues? And how have faithful Christians interpreted these things for 2,000 years? And so I think as we read these things, we can be fortified in the positions we hold uh, because they're coming from God's word and not just man's opinion. Well, and uh, speaking to the longevity that that issue has been around, it's, it's like Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, and, and so even operating from biblical un, uh, understanding and a biblical worldview, we know that the issues we face today are not unique to us. Now, they may be packaged differently. But just like we see the whole human sexuality issue, that has long been an issue for mankind, rebelling against God and how God has made man and woman and why he created marriage and the purposes of marriage and the fact that sexual relations were to be confined within that union. Yeah, no, that's right. Even let's just take the gender identity issue. A lot of people think, oh, this thing's just happened in the last four or five years. Well, actually, there, I say the transgender revolution is a form of Gnosticism. Well, what's Gnosticism is an ancient heresy that you know there's something inherently bad about our bodies. Uh, Plato used to say that the, the goal of human existence was for the soul, which is the real you, to escape the prison that's the body. Well, that's the same logic, actually, that's undergirding the modern transgender revolution that says, well, I was born in the wrong body. Again, there's nothing new under the sun, Tony, and I think it's just important to explain that to people because a lot of people say, oh, this whole LGBT stuff, especially that the T, the transgender, this is new, this is scary, how do we deal with it? Well, no, Christians have thought about issues like this for millennia and, and knowing what they've said, knowing what Scripture teaches can, again, encourage and fortify us as we stand for these issues in our own time. Uh, Travis, we were just talking with, uh, as I mentioned, George Barna earlier talking about the survey that um, uh, ran parallel to the launch of the, the center. Uh, what part will uh, Georgia's survey and surveys and his research um, play at the center? Yeah, so obviously we're happy that George Barna is you know, affiliating with us as a fellow and, and helping the center. I think what we're really looking to for him is, is diagnosis of the issue, right? So if we do what we do, did here, um, assess the state of biblical worldview in America, find, you know, come up with the findings that we, that we had, allows us to then tackle the problem. If we don't know what we're facing, we can't tackle it. So here, here, here's what we're facing. Okay, well, you know, David outlined the, the ideas and plans we have for tackling that. Um, obviously, you know, George has a history and, and experience looking at these matters from that perspective. So I, I think we're, we're excited to continue working with him on diagnosing the problem in, in a variety of areas. It's not just, uh, you know, what we survey here on an ongoing basis, working with him, diagnose the problem, and then uh, with David and other other folks, other resources we have uh, implementing the the attempt to um, executing on it. Let's let's help people get a better worldview. Now, uh, David, uh, there are others that you have announced are joining the center here at the launch. That's right. We announced yesterday that Owen Strand, uh, he is the provost and uh, research professor at uh, Grace Bible Theological Seminary. Uh, he's joined the team. He's an author of multiple books. He has a, a book coming out this summer on Christianity and Wokeness, which I know you've endorsed. Um, so he's going to be providing uh, resources as well. Just be, just having another member on the team to consult uh, who, who has experience in this. You know, what, what we're doing, Tony, is 
these issues that Scripture speaks to, addressing them in the public square. And I'm a, the, the team that we're assembling, I think, is stellar. It's top rate. And I'm excited for what we're going to be able to produce for churches and parents. And this will be a great resource for uh, for pastors. And, and folks, if you're listening, I would encourage you to share this information uh, with your pastor because this is uh, this is good stuff for uh, for churches. As we uh, as David Travis said, we'll be uh, producing curriculum, Sunday school curriculum, uh, eventually uh, curriculum for parents in terms of how to develop that biblical worldview. And and it's not difficult. It's a matter of just talking scripture. Uh, and that's why I'm excited about what we've been doing with our two-year journey through the Bible. We're going to be doing that again, just turning people's eyes not to what we have to say, but what the Word of God has to say. Yeah, no, that's right, Tony. At the end of the day, our foundation, our authority is God's Word, and that's at the center of biblical worldview. You can be rest assured uh, that everything that we produce is going to be rooted deeply in Scripture because, uh, again, it's not our opinion that's going to change hearts and minds. It's God's Word. Travis, David, great to have you uh, on the program today, and congratulations on a successful launch of the Center for Biblical Worldview. Thank Thank you, you, Tony. And I look forward to having uh, many, many more conversations. And, folks, I want to encourage you to to check that out. Go to TonyPerkins.com. You can follow the links over or go to FRC.org slash worldview. And take full advantage of these resources. Share them with your friends. If we're going to turn the country around, if we're going to preserve the culture and impact the country, it's only going to be done through the power of God's Word, living it out in our lives each and every day. I want to thank you for joining us. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means... Keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.